morning. Good to see you this morning. Turn with me, if you will, to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. We'll be looking at verses 8 through 15 this morning. We're still in the introduction of this letter to the Romans, a church that Paul had never been to, a church that he had nothing to do with starting. Uh, He didn't plant this church. Uh, Instead, uh, he has heard about this church and the uh, wonderful ministry that is going on in Rome. And he is writing to them. And really, it's a letter of intention. He's intending uh, to make it known, hey, I plan on coming by there on my way to Spain. So uh, Paul was going and doing the ministry, and he'd been doing the ministry for a multiple of years uh, throughout Asia uh, Minor, uh, in uh, Achaia, Macedonia. Uh, he had covered all these things. And this is coming uh, to the end of his second missionary journey. Uh, and so we see uh, this uh, letter being written to them, really preparing the way for him to come. Uh, he uh, really gets beyond himself and starts talking about the gospel and talking about the effect of the gospel and uh, the truth of the gospel. And uh, he's going to do that throughout this letter. But here he's still introducing himself. Uh, The first thing we looked at was uh, Paul's authority uh, and the authority in which he is writing this letter. Uh, Last week, we looked at the gospel that he is going to be proclaiming throughout this letter and the gospel that he has been proclaiming. And uh, this week, I want us to look at his motivations, uh, what drives him, uh, what causes him to make decisions. What's at the forefront of his decision-making, if you will? And he kind of lays that out here uh, a little bit for us. And so I've entitled this message today, Driven by Righteous Desire. I believe Paul was driven by a righteous desire. Look with me at verse 8. Let me read uh, through verse 15. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you. Because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also, who are in Rome. This church uh, had a testimony. It began shortly after the day of Pentecost, more than likely. That's probably where uh, the witness to Rome came from. Uh, On the day of Pentecost, there were a multitude of nations there. Uh, Different nations had gathered there uh, for uh, the the purpose of, uh, of the day of Pentecost. And 
they gathered there, and the Spirit of God came and filled the apostles, and they proclaimed, proclaiming the gospel, and everyone was amazed. They went back to their own uh, nations. They went back to their own cities and began spreading the gospel. And more than likely, out of that, uh, that opportunity, this church sprang to life, and we see that they have quite a testimony. Paul's desires are, uh, should be imitated by believers if indeed they are driven by his following Jesus. He even tells, uh, tells his church, follow me as I follow Christ. And so he is an example for us to follow. Uh, he's laying out desires, still introducing the letter, still introducing himself. But he's laying out desires that preceded his decision to go to Rome. What was it that drove him to decide, I'm going to go to Rome? He's always wanted to go to Rome. He had been wanting to go to Rome. But the opportunity had not arisen. And there's some reasons for that. Um, one of those reasons is that Paul knew he had been called to proclaim the gospel to the Gentiles. And he had made a decision that I will do that where the gospel has not been preached. So wherever he went, he didn't go where the gospel was being preached. He went where it wasn't being preached. Which is why he didn't go to Rome. Because the gospel was there. And he knew it. He had heard about it. So we can learn from Paul today, kind of some things that ought to pervade our lives, uh, that, that ought to uh, just saturate our living and our desire as believers in Jesus Christ. First is I want us to look at Paul's commitment to prayer and our own commitment to prayer. We should be committed to praying. Secondly, I want us to notice his desire for community. He had a desire for community. He had a desire to be around other believers for mutual edification. And then lastly, I want us to notice his obligation to evangelize. His obligation to evangelize. All of three of these things, by the way, are things that ought to be in us as believers in Jesus Christ. And I want to talk about that for just a few moments this morning. First of all, let's look at his commitment to prayer. In verse 8, he says, first, by the way, there's not a second or a third, okay? That's typical Paul. Uh, I, I believe he's not saying first as in uh, first and then second. I think he's saying as a matter of priority. I thank God. As a matter of priority, I thank God. That ought to be a matter of priority for all of us, don't you think? To give thanks to God. I mean, you have nothing that you haven't received. Uh, to give thanks to God uh, that we have been made alive to see and to hear and believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. As a first priority, I give thanks. So he offers gratitude to God. Because of Jesus Christ. Notice that. I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you. 
I want you to know there's no effective prayer except that Jesus is our Savior and advocate before the throne. In terms of salvation, there is no way to be saved except through Jesus Christ. And what does that do? It brings us into relationship with the Father. Apart from Jesus Christ, I want you to know there's no communion with the Father. There's no communion in salvation and there's no communion in prayer apart from Jesus. That's why Paul says it in the way he does. I thank my God through Christ Jesus for you all. Why? He's heard of the effective ministry that's going on in Rome. Listen to what he says. Because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. That's probably somewhat hyperbolic, okay? In that it hadn't reached the other side of the world. But it had reached throughout the Roman Empire. It had reached Jerusalem. It had reached Corinth. It had reached all these places where Paul had been. And wherever he went, I'm sure that where he found Christians... And particularly on his second missionary journey where his goal was, let's go back and strengthen these churches. And he'd come into contact with those believers in Ephesus and Corinth and Colossae and Galatians. And they would say, hey, have you heard what's going on in Rome? Churches thriving, flourishing. So Paul is saying... I thank God your faith is proclaimed in all the world. He's writing from more than likely Corinth. Because he says at the end of the letter, hey, I'm going to be going to Jerusalem. I'm on my way to Jerusalem right now. Soon as I uh, dot the I's and cross the T's on this letter and Tertius finishes up, we're on our way to Jerusalem to deliver this gift that Macedonia and Achaia has sent to the saints in Jerusalem. We're on our way to, to do that. And then I'm coming to Rome. I thank God for what I'm hearing from you. The ministry that you're doing. He would know what others had told him regarding the church at Rome. Now, one of the things we ought to grasp in this is, one, we should be thankful in our praying, but two is this. Wherever faithful ministry of proclaiming the gospel is happening, we should rejoice and be grateful and be prayerful for that ministry. We're not the only ones being faithful to the gospel. There are people all over the world being faithful to the gospel, and we need to pray for them, and we need to encourage them. Every ministry that says, hey, we're doing this for Jesus, isn't doing it for Jesus. We can say that. We know that. There are some that are charlatans in the name of Christ. But when we see faithful ministry, when we see the faithful gospel, the true gospel being proclaimed, we should rejoice. Wherever that is.
Paul goes on and says, for God is my witness. Let's just pause there for a minute. God is my witness. What's he about to say? That without ceasing, I mention you always in my prayers. God is my witness. Y'all ever say to someone, I'll be praying for you? Do you? I mean, God is your witness, do you? Or is it just words you're mouthing? It's the right thing to say. And then you forget to pray for them. You don't pray for them. You can't say, God is my witness. I pray for you all the time. That's what Paul's saying here. That's how seriously we ought to take our prayer. I mean, if we tell somebody, I'm going to pray for you, pray for them. If you're not going to pray for them, don't tell them you're going to. In a very real sense, making a vow. That's why he says, God is my witness. And so we're looking at his prayer life, and our prayer life ought to be as one who's made a vow to pray for families and to pray for people and to pray for ministries and to pray for the gospel to go forward. God is the witness to our prayer. And he says, uh, for God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son, that without ceasing, I mention you always in my prayers. And then look what he says. Asking that somehow, by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. What's he asking for? The first thing that our prayer ought to have is gratitude. Second thing that Paul is putting forward is he's asking God for provision. God, you provide according to your will. I know what I want. I want to go to Rome. And I'm praying all the time, he's saying, that God would open the opportunity and open the door of ministry, open the, uh, the opportunity to go to Rome. I want to go there. I want to spread the gospel there. Paul knew God's will. He'd been called to the Gentiles. In Acts, when Acts chapter 9, when Paul is led into Damascus by his friends because he's blind, Jesus awakens Ananias and says, go over there. And he says, hey, Lord, do you know what this guy's doing? Can y'all imagine being Ananias and saying, well, Jesus, do you, I mean, do you know what this guy's been up to? Yeah, I know Ananias. He's a scoundrel, isn't he? But Ananias, I've called him to go to the Gentiles. And not only that, I want him to know how much he's going to suffer for my name's sake. So you get up and you go on over there to the street called Straight. And you go and you let Paul know that Jesus sent me. And he's got a message for you. 
Paul did not ever, and even in his testimony before authorities, never relented, never backed off of that calling. He said, I always go to the synagogues first. But then when they reject me, I go to the Gentiles. That was kind of a policy. That's what he did all the time. Paul knew he had a calling to the Gentiles. But also, he had a policy. Look with me at Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 15. Verse uh, 1, we'll begin in verse 20. Thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. Verse 22, this is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. Why had not come there? Huh. Well, because your church has somebody else's foundation. Okay? Somebody else built on the foundation of Christ there. I'm going where there's nothing. So he had this, these, these two things that he lived by. Now, he wanted to go to Spain now. And preach there. And here at the end of the, of the book, he, he points that out. On my way to Spain, I'm going to stop off there. And he's asking God. He's been asking God for this provision. And now he sees how he might be able to get there. How he might be able to go to Rome. You know what? I get to Jerusalem. I, I'll run up to one of the port cities. And I'll catch a ship out of there. And I'll sail across over to Rome. And there I'll spend some time in Rome, and after that I'll sail off farther on to Spain. God, would you make that happen? Could you make that happen? I mean, he's praying for that. Aren't there things that we ask God for? People often ask me, Rick, how do I know the will of God if he wants me to do this or that? Which way he wants me to turn? Y'all ever have that question? What's God's will? And I'll ask him a couple of questions. Well, let me ask you, have you prayed about it? Oh, yeah, I've been praying about it all the time. I just don't know what to do. Okay. Is what you're wanting to do unbiblical? No, of course not. No, I, I don't want to do Is it immoral? No. No, I don't want to go do anything immoral. Is it fattening? Well, I don't, I don't know. What's that got to do with it? Well, nothing. I just wanted to know. Isn't that the test of Scripture? Go. Do what you sense God is calling you to do. Why are you hesitating? If it's fear, he can take care of that too. Don't be afraid. 
That's something that we often ought to pray. Lord, don't let me be afraid to do what I know is your will. He was planning and he was asking God that it would be his will. We know the end of the story. Paul would get to Rome, but it wouldn't be on the terms that he originally had. He would go as a prisoner to Rome, but he would get there. But I believe very much in his praying and asking God for his will. He was going along with what James had to write. You know, don't boast about what you're going to do tomorrow. Want to go to this city and do this business? But you say, if the Lord wills. Paul's saying, if the Lord wills, I'm coming to you. And you know, that's really how our life ought to be lived, if the Lord wills. Well, what do I apply that to, Rick? Everything. If the Lord wills. Proverbs 27.1 says, Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. There's a difference between boasting about tomorrow and planning for tomorrow. I hope to do this. If the Lord wills. Perhaps some of the motivation of all the ink that was spilled in writing Romans was just in case I don't make it. Let me say something to you. Prayer should saturate your ministry. Hey, did y'all hear what I just said? Prayer should saturate your ministry. Rick, I'm not a minister. I'm not a pastor. I'm not vocational in this at all. I have no intention of being. Don't plan on being a missionary. Some of you young people might plan on being missionaries. You might not have that plan just yet, but God may bring that to bear. I I don't have a ministry. Uh, uh, Won't you look next to you at those children you have? Husbands, won't you look at those wives that God has graciously given you? Wives, I want you to look at the husbands that God has given you. And then I don't want you to ever say again, you don't have a ministry. Because there they are. Right beside you. We're going to get to this, but I'm going to throw it in anyway. There's your obligation. There's the ministry God's given you. Let me tell you something. I'm looking at some of you fellas. Ain't no way you've got a wife except God gave you one. That's it. And let me tell you how you will minister to that family and how you will lead them in truth and how you will teach them the truth, you will do that when you begin your intention with prayerfulness. 
God, I can't do this without you. I won't even understand your word apart from your spirit helping me. The ministry that God has given you and that family that you have, it's going to be supplied with prayer. Or it will not be vital. Secondly, we see Paul has a commitment to prayer, but he also has a desire for community. Look with me at verse 11. For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. He had a longing to see you. That word long speaks of a deep desire. It indicates that the driving forth, uh, force of this desire was community. I long to see you. I've heard about your ministry. It is great. But I want to see you. I want to be in your presence. I want to give you a hug. I want to greet you with a holy kiss. I want us to be related in deep, meaningful ways. He wanted to encourage and he wanted to be encouraged. Look what he says. I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. Paul, he still got that vision of his second missionary journey. It's just that this isn't a church that he started. But he knows that every church needs strengthening. And sometimes it's the voice of someone they hadn't heard before. Certainly Paul's reputation precedes him. But he recognizes something. I have this spiritual gift that's been given to me by God. By the way, you have spiritual gifts if you're in Christ. Whatever spiritual gift you have is not for your edification, but for the edification of the body. It is for the common good, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, 7. It's to build up the body of Christ. Now, I don't know. I doubt Paul took a spiritual gifts analysis at any point to find out what his spiritual gift was. They have those, by the way. I have them. I got them in my office. You know, you take this little thing. Not completely accurate, but it gives us an idea. I think I know the gift that Paul probably had based on what I read from his letters and from the testimony of Luke in the book of Acts. What he says in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, he, he says, pursue love and the spiritual gifts, but particularly pursue the gift of prophecy over the gift of tongues. Why? You know, that gift of tongues, it might build you up, but it doesn't build up anybody else. But I want you to know, 
the gift of prophecy, it builds up the entire church. It builds up everybody. The ability to speak the word of God and encourage people to grow, encourage them to love Jesus with all their heart, that is something. Totally speculative, but just in reading the bulk of the letters, I think that's true. Certainly, he's sharing the gift of prophecy and writing this letter. Prophecy, by the way, is not predictive. Prophecy speaks forth the truth of God. That's what he's doing. And he certainly did that in writing in this letter and all the letters that he wrote. i got a gift I want to share with you. I want to encourage you. I'll build you up. Something that will build you up. But Paul points out something else. Look what he says. I want to impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and and mine. Paul's not thinking, hey, I, I've got it all together. I don't, I don't really need to receive anything from you, but I got some stuff that you probably hadn't heard. You know, I mean, my ministry's been pretty, pretty dynamic, you know? And so, once I just, I'm just going to come over there and tell you all a few things. I've met some preachers like that, by the way. They think they're the only ones that got a handle on the truth. That's not what Paul's saying. In fact, Paul deeply desires to come there. Not just to encourage them, but to be encouraged. Look with me again at Romans chapter 15. He lets him there, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm on my way to Judea. Pray for me that the unbelievers in Judea don't get upset with me. That the saints are encouraged by this Jerusalem, this gift. In verse 32, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. Now see that? Chapter 1, he's talking about the mutual encouragement that they can give one another. Here in chapter 15, man, I'm looking forward to seeing you. I'm looking forward to being encouraged by you. I'm looking forward to being refreshed. I'm looking for, forward to the joy of being in your presence. I want you to know we need each other. We need community. Paul's saying, I need community. I mean, wherever I go, I'm teaching somebody something. And I have fellowship with these people, but I need a church that I'm not responsible for and just to be filled up and refreshed.
That's what he's banking on and going to Rome. Refreshment, renewal. You know, we have the spiritual gift profile, and then we have a personality profile. It probably comes as no surprise to you that I am a D personality on the DISC profile. That is someone who is demanding, dynamic. Basically, a D personality is a bulldozer, okay? I mean, you just kind of go. Rig D's. Picture of a bulldozer, rig D's. Now, I have to pull back on a throttle on that all the time, okay? But I say that because there's this little part, and it says, this personality type needs to learn. You always got something that you got to learn in these profiles. They need to learn something. Y'all know what I need to learn? You need people. That's what my personality needs to learn. You need people. You're more than willing to do it on your own. You're more than willing to just blow over everything to get the, the job done. People matter less. The job matters more. But you need people. I think Paul had come to a place in his ministry perhaps where he realized, boy, I need some people. I need somebody that can refresh me. I need to be refreshed. Now, you know, in a room this size, there are different types of people. There are some of you who like your solitude, okay? I mean, you like being left alone. Uh, I imagine my staff right now is making fun because they got me a birthday present. I think it was a birthday present. Might have been a Christmas gift. I think it was for my birthday. They got me a doormat at my house. Everybody have a doormat that say something sweet? Okay, we were at a, a, a bridal thing uh, or a, a baby shower for Jacob and Caitlin here not long ago. We walked up and the doormat said, you look marvelous. And I was kind of like, huh, thanks, you know. Uh-uh. Mine says, go away, all right. It's a joke, okay. I could dig my solitude. I could do that. All right. So there's some of you that are in my camp. You're kind of like, you're the man. That's me. All right. You're thinking that right now. All right. Then there's some people in here. I mean, you don't want to be alone at all. It's kind of like, I want to be around people. All right. I need people. Now, I'm a people person in the sense that I like being around people, but I like my isolation too. Okay. You know what? There's a healthy balance between those two. Diedrich Bonhoeffer in his book, if you hadn't read it, called Life Together. It's worth the read. Says this, let him who cannot be alone beware of community. Let him who is not in community 
Beware of being alone. Each by itself has profound perils and pitfalls. One who wants fellowship without solitude plunges into the void of words and feelings. And the one who seeks solitude without fellowship perishes in the abyss of vanity, self-infatuation, and despair. I think Paul could have easily isolated himself, but he didn't want that. He wanted to be refreshed, and he knew he needed people to do that. He needed a church that could do that. He needed uh, the, the, the church that was solid in the gospel, whose ministry was wonderful and dynamic, and he needed to go and be refreshed in their midst. By the way, that ought to be something that is a high priority in the life of of every believer to be with the people of God to be present around his people aren't you encouraged when you come here doesn't it strengthen your faith to be around people who share the same faith Doesn't it give you courage to go and to live as a Christian in a world that's really, really an enemy of God? We need to have a desire for community. And don't be making excuses like, well, nobody ever calls and nobody ever comes over and nobody ever checks on me. Who are you calling? Who are you checking on? Usually I find out that the people who are complaining about not getting checked on ain't checking on nobody. Because their isolation has driven them into self-infatuation and vanity and despair. We need to have a commitment to prayer. We need to have a desire for community. We do, desperately. Lastly, we need an obligation to evangelize. Verses 13 and 14. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you. Up to now, I've been prevented. But I wanted to come to you in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation, both the Greeks and the barbarians, both to the wise and the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in room. I am eager. I can't wait. Man, I want to make the gospel known. Can y'all hear his fervor? I mean, y'all hear his excitement? Man, I'm looking forward to getting there. Y'all got people I hadn't seen before. You, man, you got barbarians there. There was a time in my life when I said, there's some barbarians over there. I'm going there. Got a little old for that now, but still. Paul was kind of like, man, yeah. Whole variety of people that have not heard the gospel. Mind you, he wanted to be refreshed, but while he was there, he was going to be doing what's the joy of his life. And you know what that is? Here's the truth. Here's the good news. Yeah, Paul, here's a rock. Uh, I don't care. Throw the rocks. That's fine. But here's 
the truth about Jesus. He wanted to take the gospel there. While I'm there, I want to preach. I want to go out into the marketplace. I want to stand on the corner. I want to do whatever it takes to get the gospel to the people. I want to evangelize. I'm under obligation. I want to reap a harvest. I want to have joy and be refreshed, but I want to reap a harvest there among you. Doesn't sound greatly motivating, does it, to be doing something out of obligation? He said, I'm obligated. I mean, most of us think of, I don't want to do it out of obligation. Then my motives are just, you know, not really that good. Kind of looks fake. This obligation came from Christ. This obligation is divine obligation. And I want you to know the things that God's called us to to evangelize. That's divine obligation. To make known the word of Christ. Paul's obligation came from Jesus. We need to share in that obligation. Martin Luther once wrote, and this was quoted by Diedrich Bonhoeffer in that same book, Life Together. Jesus Christ lived in the midst of his enemies. By the way, that's all we have to evangelize, by the way. Enemies. All right? He lived in the midst of his enemies. At the end, all his disciples deserted him. On the cross, he was utterly alone, surrounded by evildoers and mockers. For this cause he had come to bring peace to the enemies of God. So the Christian too belongs not in the seclusion of a cloistered life, but in the thick of foes. There is his commission, his work. The kingdom is to be in the midst of your enemies. And then Martin Luther in his not so gentle ways writes this, and he who will not suffer this does not want to be of the kingdom of Christ. He wants to be among friends, to sit among roses and lilies, not to be with the bad people, but the devout people. Oh, you blasphemers and betrayers of Christ. If Christ had done what you are doing, who would ever have been spared? No one. We have an obligation to evangelize. Now, can I pause for a moment? And let me point to your obligation. I already did it earlier. I'm going to do it again. They're sitting right next to you. That family, those sons and daughters. That wife, that husband, there's your obligation. You have that from God. Now, some of you are saying, well, you know what? My kids are gone. My wife is gone. My husband's gone. Do I not have an obligation? Yes, you do. 
your church. Hey, older women, younger women. Hey, older men, younger men. Hey, nobody's left out in the kingdom of God. Nobody's left out in the church. Do you know what? Some of these older folks, they get this in their mind. Well, they don't want to hear what I have to say. Sure they do. They have no idea what they're doing. They don't know how to live life. Yes, they do need you. They need your wisdom. They need your experience of how you've overcome trials by the power of Christ. They need to hear somebody say, you're going to make it through this. You're needed. All of you. And all of you are under obligation to the King of kings and the Lord of lords who has saved you and given you the commission to go. And that begins in your own home. I've said this before, I'm going to say it again. Young people, young families, young moms and dads, do not let anyone tell you that you're not evangelizing because you're not out in the streets handing out tracts, knocking on doors, sharing the gospel with every soul that walks past you. If you are evangelizing in your home, You need to be preaching the gospel to your children every day and never let up. Have the eagerness to proclaim the gospel in your home that Paul had to proclaim throughout the world. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you, God, for your mercy and your grace and your love. We thank you, God, for the gospel, and we thank you for giving us the spirit to give us in our hearts a great desire, Lord, to make known the gospel. And, Lord, that can be fearful, Lord, when we realize that the audience that we have are often enemies in the marketplace, enemies of God, enemies of you. And so, Lord, help us to be courageous to do that. Lord, we love you and we give you thanks. We pray, God, that you would make us faithful in our own homes. To spread the gospel there. To live and put on display the gospel there. For your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.